The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Temporary Admission. This week, we're going to be joined by two very special guests, Stella Iwanu, Director of Sculpture in the City, and Jocelyn McGregor, the artist behind this year's newest commission in Olgate Square here in London. Now, I'm sure we'll touch on this in a little bit more detail with Stella, but for those of our listeners not based in London, or maybe new to the city, Sculpture in the City is the now award-winning annual outdoor exhibition in London Square Mile. It's essentially a dialogue between contemporary art and contemporary architecture that's now shown 141 artworks by 121 artists since June 2011. But Stella, before we chat with Jocelyn about the new Commission in Algate Square, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how it was that you got involved in Sculpture in the City? Hi, James. Um, lovely to have the opportunity to chat with you and Jocelyn uh, today. My official title on Sculpture in the City is as the Artistic Director and I have been working on the project since its inception, pretty much, which is now, deep breaths, 11 and a half years ago. I was asked to come in to look at how the City of London can bring contemporary sculpture into the area now very clearly defined as the city cluster. It's the area where we have all the tall buildings and some of the greatest iconic buildings in London, you know, historically going back to the Gherkin and the most recent addition to the city cluster skyline is 22 Bishopsgate. The cheese grate is always also there and actually pre the Gherkin, the fabulous Lloyd's building, which um, is directly opposite the cheese grater. And I love how we have a very early Richard Rogers project in front of their most recent uh, contribution to the city of London skyline. Having said all that, I'm smiling because you can probably tell I have a, an interest in architecture and that's because I trained as an architect and years, well, having left my diploma, decided I didn't want to practice as one. And I went on a journey uh, very much within the architecture world, doing PR, doing events, and then back in, well, 2003, joining Peter Murray, who is the founding director of the now London Festival of Architecture to work on the very first Clarkmall Architecture Biennale, which then became the London Architecture Biennale. We renamed it the London Festival of Architecture in 2007. And at that point, I left the incredible team at the NLA and went off on other adventures. Circling back to sculpture in the city 11 and a half years ago, I was asked to look at how to bring contemporary sculpture into that area and embarked on this incredible journey talking to galleries and artists and sculptors and seeing what was available. The first brief was pretty much an experiment. The city were keen to borrow a big piece of sculpture for three to six months, 
This all came out of uh, some research that was undertaken in the area, which engaged with the local businesses and asked the question of how would you like the area to look? The city knew um, that there was an, a very large stream of tall buildings coming um, on board. If I think back at that point, the cheese grater wasn't on the skyline, 22 wasn't on the skyline, 99, uh, well, 99 was, 100 Bishopsgate wasn't. You know, there has been an incredible amount of development over the last 11 and a half years, which definitely has informed the genesis of the project and continues to inform the project because it is such a strong and dynamic urban environment. And in the first instance, it was about finding sculpture to bring into the area. Nine months from the original challenge, when I was asked to look at it as a project, um, we ended up installing four major pieces of contemporary sculpture. We had an Anish Kapoor sky mirror, a piece by Kenneth Armitage that we actually saw at Roach Court and fitted perfectly on the facade of the Hiscox building. We had one of Julian's early LEDs, Three Men Walking, which we extended the pavement to put on um, on the end of a, a road called Undershaft. And more significantly, we also had a brand new work by France West, uh, Garden Poof, straight from the studio. And we delivered all that in partnership with three other local businesses who were keen to see the area be more animated, be more human, and felt very strongly that contemporary sculpture was uh, the right way forward. And actually, after those uh, nine months and four artworks later, we realized we had a very interesting project on our hands. And that was the genesis of what is now a massive award-winning, internationally acclaimed urban sculpture park. And over the years, it's just grown and grown and, and taken over a much more significant area. But also over the years, we've also defined that area very clearly because it is very much about contemporary sculpture in dialogue with, with contemporary architecture. It's not... It's a project very specific to the area, and I spend an incredible amount of time walking with all the artists who were shortlisted after their submissions and identifying the right spot for the artwork. They're all pre-existing, generally. I'd say 95% of the 130 artworks that we've shown today, over 10 editions, are pre-existing. We have commissioned other works. We've co-commissioned Doho Saar, bridging home with Art Night on the footbridge on Wormwood Street. We commissioned three works back in 2018 uh, as part of the Women Work Power initiative at the City of London. We worked with Jill Bradley, Amanda Lewin and Claire Jarrett on three brand new commissions for the project. So the project has basically evolved significantly over the years. Does that answer your question? <laughs> It sure does. But I think what's nice about this project specifically is that it it kind of brings art and culture to a space that maybe historically has been a little bit void of culture other than, you know, vast modern buildings popping up left, right and centre. But, you know, before Sculpture in the City, there was always quite a lack of art and, and public art specifically within the area. And over the years, public art has become, I mean, I've been watching lots of public art initiatives kind of blossom across London, but more significantly about the area, which is interesting, and I, I didn't know before I started working on this project, um, is that it's the insurance district in the square mile, which is, you know, we all 
we all see the Square Mile and the City of London as a financial district. But there's something incredibly unique about the insurance business is that they still trade face to face. So when I started looking at what this project could be and, and what my own vision was for it, it it was clear that there are a lot more people walking in the area than other parts of London or that you would consider normally the city of London to look like. So we had two distinct people groups on the streets, the insurance brokers who walk backwards and forwards to the Lloyds building uh, for business and who still and who meet face to face. So you see lots of suits, quite frankly, with paper folios under their arms walking on a mission basically because of the contemporary architecture and all the tall buildings and this has only become more intense right you also have architecture tourism so these two these two very distinct groups were were the clear definers of what that space was all about in the early days that has definitely changed as we now see lots of families coming in. Obviously, the project has enabled that as well. We now have, well, we've had a very strong education program since 2012. So we see lots of young people coming into the area to study the artworks, understand the space. And that program was started very much to, to become an aspirational um, initiative and show how the City of London is not a fortress city. It's open, it's safe. We want to give the young people who come on and take participate in the education program workshops the opportunity to consider themselves in that space rather than seeing it from afar as a distant land, which is inaccessible, right? So um, there's a lot that's changed. And actually, over the years, because of the development in the area, there are a lot more uh, bars, restaurants. The City of London itself has invested in the, the idea of the 24-hour city. Obviously, the last two years in COVID have not helped, but equally, it's been an opportunity to look at the city again and how both culture and commerce can partner in ensuring that this actually really vibrant and special place in London is fully utilised, fully experienced and is completely and utterly accessible. And I think what's shown as well as when we went on the tour not so long ago that there were, you know, children playing in the middle of the square within the city, which I don't think you would have seen, you know, 10 years ago within um, at least the square mile. And also, I remember you showed one of the artworks to me that had um, previously been up around, you know, focusing on different groups within the LGBTQIA plus community. And I think that was, for me, quite a strong message because actually it was maybe a place that historically has been, you know, quite macho and, and maybe it's challenged maybe the preconceptions of what you would expect to be in the area. Exactly. But has that always been a focus for you? Is that something that's maybe developed as, as the projects progressed? So, you know, I've already mentioned um, the COVID period, which really we're still in, but um, always seeing, suffering the consequences of. But because, where were we? We were back in, we're now in 22, 21. So back in um, March 2019, we all... Is that right? I'm definitely getting my numbers mixed up. But when COVID hit, we had the 10th edition uh, ready to go on site and we couldn't do it, right? Lockdown meant that we could not install the artworks. So we extended the 9th edition and we took that year to really look at the project again. And 
actually a 10-year anniversary is a great opportunity to um, assess what the project's achieved, what the ambition is, what the aspiration is, and, and frankly, what the reality is. So a project that started very much uh, working with pre-existing sculptures, which inevitably meant that we started off by working with you know, really established artists who had sculpture available for us to borrow. And if I think back now to the first edition in 2011, I've just reeled off the names of four relatively, if not extremely well-known male artists. And I've also made reference to the 2018 initiative, uh, Women Work Power, where it became really important for the project to start looking at gender parity uh, back then and ensure that we were able to show a variety of artworks and showcase different voices. So again, for our during our 10th edition fallow year, is that the right word? Um, we looked again and we felt it was really important that we start commissioning emerging artists. We've achieved gender parity. We have a very uh, strong showing of LGBTQIA artists in particular in, in this year's edition. And we have, we've shown in the past, um, we, you know, we had enough diversity but the, over the years, but the thing that we were definitely missing was the work of emerging artists and emerging voices. And the, we know, we, we recognize very quickly that the only way we could include those significant voices was to commission. So there, therefore, and uh, with a big smile on my face, we established the Aldgate Square Commission, which is a two-year programme. We uh, worked with our incredible arts advisory group and shortlisted 12 artists who we invited to uh, submit proposals for a site that we identified in Aldgate Square. And which in itself is a community space. It's If I think back to when I started working on the project, that space was a god-awful roundabout with a bus station attached to it. It was ugly, it was smelly, it was full of fumes, and now it's this um, award-winning community space, a beautiful space, where I've witnessed and I still witness lots of people, families, the school is there, performers, every... every um, type of person who you'd want to be in the cities is there enjoying this great space. I've watched jugglers practice. I've watched um, Guildhall School music uh, students uh, out with their instruments practicing. I, you know, young children playing in the fountains, um, quite a familiar sight in London these days, but really vibrant community space. So that was the space that we wanted to use. And the 12 um, invited artists submitted their proposals. Five were shortlisted. And those five shortlisted artists were asked to participate in community workshops to kind of challenge, unpick, uh, question their proposal. And that was an incredibly um, enlightening process. And I'll let Jocelyn speak to it herself from her own experience. But that then meant that we had five uh, very strong proposals to review with our arts advisory group. And 
they uh, selected Jocelyn's Earthling as the first uh, proposal, which really excited. Uh, Jocelyn's in the in the fabricators right now as we're speaking. Finishing off the piece, we will be installing it on the 7th of May. And then for next year's uh, piece, we've got Emi Alroy with her artwork, Guardian, which we're going to start working with her on imminently um, being installed in summer 2023. And I guess on that note, Jocelyn, welcome to Temporary Admission. It's great to have you here with us today. I think it's our first episode where we've had two guests on the episode, but I think it felt particularly important to chat with you today about your commission that you're producing as part of Sculpture in the City. I mean, Stella couldn't actually speak higher of you, but for our listeners that haven't come across your work before, are you able to tell us a little bit more about you and your practice? Yeah, of course. Also, just just to say, I am in the fabricators at the moment. So if you hear like the wheeze of machinery, that's <laughs> that's why. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm a sculptor. Um, I'm originally from Cumbria, um, based in Nottingham at the moment, as part of a um, a studio bursary with New Contemporaries and Ron Thorsby Street. But yeah, my so my artistic practice. I mainly work in three D. So usually making sort of individual sculptures or site specific sculptural installations and then recently over lockdown I started making some stop motion um, animated versions of my sculptures too uh, so this is yeah this is the first public sculpture uh, commission I've ever done congratulations my work sort of explores the uh, I'd say like the point of transition between between worlds or states so internal external real and imagined synthetic and natural worlds and I often use my own body as a starting point uh, I identify as female so uh, you know female body and that's to sort of explore the inside out outside type of typography of the female form and I'm very interested in folklore and surrealism and supernatural fiction as a kind of way to investigate the identification of, of women with with nature the home and the machine so in short like a lot of my sculptures aim to like blur the boundaries between the natural world and the manufactured one and this kind of results in a sort of supernatural hybrid version of the two I think it's probably the best way of putting it. And obviously the Algate Square Commission is a relatively new addition or actually super new addition to Sculpture in the City. How is it that you came to apply to be part of that? Well I was really kindly invited to apply. Obviously it to begin with when I was you know it sort of took me back getting the email. I was like, I've never done, <laughs> I've never done a public sculpture before. And it sort of just came completely out of the blue. And to begin with, like, I'm not going to lie, it was daunting. I was like, I don't know if I can do a public sculpture. Like, I'm not sure what, it's like, it was a total unknown for me. But then like chatting to, to Stella and the team um, and also like reading through the brief, it was very, like the brief was really open and the only kind of parameters really were in like the site itself so that you know the information we were given about like weight loading to paving slabs or you know like where it could be installed and guidance on overhangs and things like that the brief did encourage us to respond a little bit to to Oldgate East you know to to properly sort of embed the sculpture in its environment but it wasn't in such a kind of tight way that you compromise like elements of your practice to sort of I didn't feel like I was shoehorning at all so the actual brief itself I was like oh actually this is really this is so open that I feel like I can 
really expand my practice by doing this and and learn new skills and explore and kind of combine like motifs and ideas that like are already in my practice in in terms of like doing it in a different setting so yeah that that felt like I was like yeah I'm, I'm definitely up for this challenge <laughs> mm, and I guess one of the main challenges with the podcast obviously is that our listeners can't actually see the work that we're talking about so would you be able to paint a picture almost of what the commission looks like and maybe what to look out for as well yeah, it sounds really bonkers when I describe it. So basically, it's um, it's a dry stone wall type structure, and it's actually you know it's made out of dry stone, dry stone walling materials like from my from my dad's field actually. <laughs> so yes, yeah, this kind of dry stone wall structure that's built in a curve, a kind of curved shape. So you sort of move through it, which I was really keen to do because I want I wanted it to sort of look like these kind of fallen down. Cairns or um, or like sort of stonewall shelters that you you find on like a lot of walks around Cumbria and things, which are supposed to kind of protect either walkers from the elements or sheep. Um, yeah, and so I think I kind of like this idea that in a public setting you've, you've got this sort of almost like protective type big hog of a dry stone wall, <laughs> and then this is kind of covered with these sort of human hybrid snail and snake creatures so i'm i body cast my own uh, my own body for this and there'll be these sort of bronze um casts of my body and also like some jesmanite legs as well and they're kind of like crawling all over the wall as this sort of like imagined sort of imagined future almost of like where uh you know the manufactured and an organic environments of like have combined and, and and you've got these kind of animal human hybrids like what would it I guess trying to imagine a sort of a fantastical world where like the boundaries between species and um you know like urban and, and rural and natural and, and synthetic have just kind of crumbled and they've just merged I've worked for quite a long time with the like motif of the dry stone wall, although I have to say this is the first time I've ever actually got a chance to work with actual stone. <laughs> like, I've always like faked it before because it's got to be I've got to be able to move it and store it. So the dry stone wall, I like the idea that they're made from materials around the area. So quite often in like a, you know a proper a proper traditional dry stone wall, there'd be chunks of all sorts in there from like brick to concrete and. And this has kind of changed over time. Like originally it would have all been like natural stone, but now you'll see like chunks of old concrete and, and whatever in them. And it's, you know, it's a very open structure as well. So it's like, you know, great for insects and little animals and stuff like can live in it and plants grow all over it. And it feels like, although it is itself a built object, it's, it feels very much, much more in tandem with, with the natural world. Um, like it feels like much more kind of unified. Mm. And, and, and would you say there are any particular sections of the sculpture that our listeners should look out for that you particularly kind of want to draw attention to? Maybe, you know, sections within the dry stone wall or? Um, I guess, I mean, there's, I guess there's kind of lots of, lots of little inspirations have gone into it, which like, for example, the snail shells, I took quite a lot of the designs from when I did a residency out in Ukraine, actually in, the Harkiv Natural History Museum and and also the snake legs I learned like I learned how to sort of paint like the snake designs and stuff from the um 
the staff and the students at the Parque Natural History Museum. So there's like elements of that that I've kind of brought brought in that I, I quite like people to know, you know, but every, it's not just the kind of random design on, on the, but also I guess, I guess to kind of bring, bring up a bit the, the public engagement workshops, I think I've always been like, I've always been the kind of sculptor, I, I like people to like touch my work and interact with my work in that way. I'm very hands-on with the making, so I always feel like you lose something sometimes in an exhibition where people can't touch the work. You're like, it's strange to me to imagine not being able to touch the work when you've been so involved in it yourself. And I think when I was doing the public engagement workshops and we did a, cast, a body casting workshop together and we just sort of, you know, I just like chatted with everybody about kind of do's and don'ts really of like of public sculpture and what people kind of wanted, you know, what kind of puts people off about public sculpture maybe or sculpture in general and also, you know, and what turns them on at the same time. So people did speak a lot about not putting things on plinths because this idea of a plinth, like elevating a sculpture kind of away from you as if you don't understand it or um, it's above you or like it's more expensive or like, you know, it kind of gives these these feelings. And I hadn't properly thought about that before. And actually that kind of really resonated with me. And also the idea of being able to maybe move through it or there being things to touch all different levels. There's no no one optimum viewpoint or no one specific height you need to be or whatever to... Um, to interact properly with the sculpture but it's this kind of a properly 3D thing where there's literally things at every level and every angle to explore and it's not just it's not just a case of kind of looking at it from like one point I'd really love people to to interact with the sculpture not just visually but by touching it and and spending time with it and, and wandering through it yeah I think that's something that's so important about public sculpture is actually enabling people to interact with it like you say and have the experience almost within the sculpture or you know walking walking through it I think that's something that people don't often get to experience when they see works in other environments you know in galleries or museums or something and I think that's something that's actually quite different about public sculpture and something that's definitely a a strong point I would say but back to this year's um, edition of Sculpture in the City Stella are you able to tell us a little bit more about what our listeners can expect this year? Of course. I mean, I just wanted to add, um, as you encourage people to go and touch Jocelyn's piece and experience it, that we will also have um, for the entire exhibition, once again, an audio guide on the Bloomberg Connects app. And I, I know that Jocelyn will definitely be recording a piece speaking to the work itself as well. So um, there's also another another layer of experience which spreads across the entire project and it's a partnership that we've had, uh, we're now in our third, fourth real year, but third year of recording uh, editions due to the extended ninth edition. So back to what will be the 11th edition of Sculpture in the City, Uh, taking the grand total of artworks that we will have shown to 141, which is a, I don't don't know quite how to describe it in my own mind. And sometimes I think it's an overwhelming uh, number, but also really speaks to how much the project has grown. We have 11 new artworks, including Jocelyn's, uh, coming into the city cluster area. 
Do you want names, James? Do you want names? Always, Stella, you know me. The names will have gone to press by the time the recording of the podcast comes out. So I can share that we will have artworks by Shazad Dawood. We've got Shazad Dawood in uh, with this really fun neon um, called Invasion are going into Leadenhall Market, a historic space which we use. So it's not just about uh, the tall buildings, but uh, also about the old, as you've touched on, what I call the gems in the area. We've got Leadenhall Market, which has had a market on site since 1333. Uh, We also have uh, we're keeping Alice Channer's burial in St. Botolph's on Bishopsgate Churchyard, which is a beautiful church. Going back to the new works, we've got Sarah Lucas's sandwich coming in. We're having fun with uh, Sarah's concrete sandwich, putting it down on the pavement and really excited to see workers in the area sitting on the sandwich and eating their sandwich, if I may say. Then something completely different. And again, you've experienced the area and you've seen for yourself how each site has its own personality, its own character. So we go from churchyards to very urban public spaces uh, and then into where I'm about to describe a small pocket park called Mitre Square. We've got Pedro Pires's piece called Habitat. Jesse Pollock's granary will go, be going into a another urban space, um, Cunard Place. Then we've got Emma Louise Moore's artwork, Miss, which is a marble work, and it will be taking over the corner of 99 Bishopsgate, which is one of our most pop, not popular, that's the wrong word to use, but a site with by f- a, the busiest site we've got in the area. So it's on it's on the thoroughfare, the 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 marching pedestrian thoroughfare to uh, Liverpool Street Station. Ugo Rondinone's Summer Moon will be sighted on Undershaft with the gherkin in the background. Great dialogue, bronze, white tree amongst all the towers, actually very close by to some of the oldest trees in the area, which are in the churchyard at St. Helens. Then we're on to Victor Seward with his really playful, colourful nest series, which we're sighting in two separate trees in the area we enjoy having artworks with more than one piece uh, which then can be shown in dialogue with different sites so we've got victor going uh, victor's nest series going into the tree at 99 bishop's gate and also on a tree in aldgate square on the other side of the square from jocelyn's artwork emma smith's uh neon we We'll be going into the cheese grater on a glass wall where in the past we've shown a Lawrence Vino artwork. Bosco Sodi will be going on the pavement on Bevis Marks. They are a pair of two very tall bronzers. They stand at 2.8 metres tall. They're untitled, but they will be literally taking over (laughs) pavement space. But um, again, some of the wonderful things about the city is that this particular pavement is extremely wide at six meters wide. So, you know, we have space for sculptures. And then uh, finally, we've got Claudia Visa's artwork going on to the underside of the escalators at the Cheese Grater, which is actually another commission uh, which we started in the 
in the dark year of not showing any artwork. So that's another initiative where we did an open call for submissions for uh, artworks to go on the escalator of on the underside of the escalator of the cheese grater. They are massive, immense escalators, and just looking at that space becoming a canvas for an artwork. And so this will be the second one. We currently have Laura Arminda Kingsley's Murmurs of the Deep taking over that space, and we've got Claudia Visa's artwork, another untitled piece, coming in for the eleventh edition. And I should also mention, James, that we're retaining six artworks from the current tenth edition. Very exciting. We've been doing this for a few years now, retaining artworks, one or two artworks for another year. And this year we are retaining Roughneck Business by Mike Ballard at 100 Bishopsgate, Alice Channer's Burial at St. Bottles Without Bishopsgate's Churchyard, Bram Ellens's Orphans, the three cocoon-like uh, artworks on Cullum Street, Yunti Lai's Bloom Paradise at Fenchurch Street Station, Eva Rothschild's Cosmos uh, between the Aviva building and the cheese grater in this wonderful spot, and finally Guillaume Van Damme's Symbols, which is now back in Leadenhall Market. And in addition, because it's not a little show anymore, we have two artworks that are now permanent, a permanent part of the collection of the of the project. We've got Elisa Artezero's Garden of Floating Words in front of the building at 70 St. Mary Axe, fondly referred to as the Can of Ham. And we are also retaining Oliver Bragg's wonderful, very playful series of 10 small bronze plaques on a number of seats and benches in the area. And the artwork is called In Loving Memory. And that should give us 20 artworks for the 11th edition of Sculpture in the City. Wow, a jam-packed schedule this year. I hadn't realised it had grown quite so much this past year. Yeah, plenty of exciting artworks to see, plenty of different voices and different types of sculpture, public art. Another thing about the project is it's always been very much for me about looking at what public art is, but also challenging the preconception of the historic and what public art can be, should be. And because of this very dynamic urban environment, we we have the opportunity to use the underside of escalators. We have fixed artworks to walls that we know we can um, then either fix or we don't need to worry about because the building will be demolished. We've hung artworks on the Lloyds building, for example. It is an incredible environment to work in. and. I have to say, really privileged to to have the opportunity. Mm, as, as you should be. And for our listeners that are based in London or, you know, have plans to visit sometime soon, what is the best way that they can see the latest installations? So first of all, people can come into the area at any time. This is a free, open art project, art programme uh, for everybody to come and experience. There is no threshold to cross. You can uh, download the map from our website, sculptureinthecity.org.uk. You can go to the city information opposite St. Paul's and pick up a brochure. So that's that's the first thing, the, the primary thing. Get in, come and see the artwork, enjoy them, uh, be challenged by them. I, I never expect everybody to love everything and encourage debate, discussion, dialogue. I'm always very interested in hearing why people 
don't like an artwork as much as I am about why they do like an artwork. And then, as I mentioned, Bloomberg Connects, if you just download the app, you can do a self-guided tour with an audio guide via the app. And then the final part of the jigsaw puzzle is Nocturnal Creatures, an event which we are partners with the Whitechapel on. It's a one night only event where the Whitechapel work with their artists in the London Open in uh, creating performance pieces, experiences, events uh, around the Whitechapel Gallery. And they come up to Aldgate Square, which is the meeting point with Sculpture in the City. And then I am now in the process of encouraging all our confirmed artists about how we can animate the artwork during Nocturnal Creatures, which will be taking place on the 23rd of July from 6 to 11 p.m. It's a Saturday night and it's a great way of coming into the city at the weekend. It's definitely quieter than you'd expect it to be during the week, but also the kind of the emptiness, which is not eerie because it's a completely animated space, encourages uh, thousands of people to come and almost roam free. Well, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes out for that one because I think that sounds like an absolutely great way to see the sculptures come to life a little bit more as well. But look, thank you, Stella, Jocelyn, for taking the time to come on Temporary Mission today. It's been great chatting with you and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, especially those based in London, will be very excited to go and see the latest edition of Sculpture in the City. Thank you, James. And that should just about conclude us for the latest episode of Temporary Admission. Make sure to tune in next week where we'll be chatting with a woman on a mission to change London's gallery scene. Until then, stay safe. Speak soon. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.